0: So God is good. Thank you for coming. First Kings chapter 12 and verse 26. Looking to the Old Testament. 1 Kings. I want to refer to a story that is uh, not oftentimes spoken about. Read a few verses in your hearing before you're seated. 1 Kings tw- uh, chapter 12 and verse 26. And Jeroboam said in his heart, now shall the kingdom return to the house of David. If this people go up to do sacrifice in the house of the Lord at Jerusalem, then shall the heart of this people turn again unto their Lord, even unto Rehoboam, king of Judah. And they shall kill me and go again to Rehoboam, king of Judah. Whereupon the king took counsel and made two calves of gold and said unto them, it is too much. Everybody say, it's too much. It's too hard. Too long of a journey. It's too much for you to go up to Jerusalem. Behold thy gods, O Israel, which brought thee up out of the land of Egypt. That was a lie. Those golden calves did not deliver the children of Israel out of Egypt. Only God could open up a Red Sea. Only God could deliver his people on dry ground. Oh Israel, these are the ones. And he set the one in Bethel and the other he put in Dan. And this thing became a sin. For the people went to worship before the one, even unto Dan, which is way up in the north. This king is a very sad story is the kingdom of Israel is divided here between Jeroboam and Rehoboam and In some sort of a political standoff, Jeroboam decides that he will try to substitute and replace the God of Israel and give them a cheap alternative. But ladies and gentlemen, what you and I know, there is no cheap alternative that will ever satisfy the longing of our soul. Once you've known the King of kings and the Lord of lords... There is no substitute. I'd like to speak this morning on this subject, spiritual pacifiers. Spiritual pacifiers. And you may be seated. Thank you for standing. Now, anyone here that's a parent that's had a toddler knows about the pacifier. In fact, I have been told the pacifier has different nicknames. Maybe Brother James can confirm this, but my understanding is that in England, it's called the dummy. Is that right? The dummy. In America, it's called the binky. It's all pretty much the same thing. It's a parent's best friend when they have a toddler because when the baby cries or the little one cries, you give them that pacifier, the binky, the dummy, and you put it in their mouth, and hopefully it will soothe them and they'll stop crying. The only problem with the binky is that it's habit forming. And there is something that takes place about babies getting attached to their pacifiers that is a great concern for parents when they try to start weaning them off of the pacifier. Up to that point it was, where's your binky, and and give mommy your binky and let's clean your binky and then they run it under the water, you know. It's okay, it only fell on the ground for two seconds, you know, and it's all right. And Everybody, all parents have these different rules, the three-second rule, the five-second rule, the seven-second rule. For fathers, it's like the eight-minute rule. It's like I didn't see any insects crawling on it. It's all right. And we just brush it off like that and put it... Because we believe in building up our children's immune system, so we give them a lot to work on. There are a number of books on uh, Amazon to help parents get their toddlers off of pacifiers and just consider this the public service portion of the sermon this morning. First of all, there is Bye Bye Binky, Big Kid Power.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: Reggie likes that. And uh, here's a little synopsis of that book. All little kids want to be big to go on to big adventures and do what the big kids do. With that in mind, the Big Kid Series is designed to help tackle the hard stuff that little kids have to go through. Show your little one in a super positive way that as they get bigger, they do have to say goodbye to the binky. Then we have Choopy, the binky that returned home. With this witty, slightly quirky bedtime story, you can encourage your kids to send their binky off to the special binkies only land told from the point of view of a binky who just wants to go live with the rest of his friends in a place designed just for him. This story, might encourage little kids who love the pacifier to set it free let it go back to binky land. Then we have no more pacifier for piggy. Instead of utilizing peer pressure, which is a common tactic in putting the pacifier aside, no more pacifier for piggy helps to show little kids that sometimes the pacifier just gets in their way. How can you yell, chat, or play hide and seek with a mouthful of pacifier? What is more important and more fun? Walking around with a pacifier or having a great play date? Use Piggy's Tale, T A L E, to help encourage kids to make the decision themselves to move on from the binky lifestyle. Then there's the Passy Fairy, the Passy Pixie, but my favorite is pacifiers are not forever. This book helps kids see all the positives associated with moving on. The pictures are gentle and the words are kind and understanding and teach children that they can't live their whole life with the binky. I wanted to title this sermon, Bye Bye Binky. But I didn't have enough courage to entitle it that. So we're just going to call it Spiritual Pacifier." Because as funny and silly as it seems in our culture, it is very tragic in other countries. As I have traveled around to a lot of third world countries, and I remember starting to see something that was common in the Amazon villages and and Uganda and other third world countries that, that we've been. I started seeing that children 10 and 11 years old still had pacifiers in their mouths. And I would ask about that. I said to the missionary, why do the children in these countries, why do they have pacifiers at such advanced years? And he says, they've gotten so used to being hungry that they just keep a pacifier in their mouth because they know there's no food coming. They die of starvation with a pacifier in their mouth because a pacifier, ladies and gentlemen, as you well know, has no nutritional value. In China, they tell us that the orphanages will have rows and rows of babies. And it is so quiet. They do not cry. And when some friends of ours that work with Christian adoption agencies were recently visiting that, they asked some of the people, why do the babies not cry? Rows and rows of just babies and windows, and yet the babies are so cry, and they were told... They have cried for so long they know that no one is coming so they simply have stopped crying ladies and gentlemen sometimes we have spiritual pacifiers our hearts are crying for something more but we have tried to curb that hunger with a false satisfaction and if at some point we don't get food for our soul we stop crying. We stop crying out to God because we do not believe that there is a spiritual answer to the dilemma of our innermost being. But I remember when I was a boy, we used to sing a song. It went something like this. Only Jesus can satisfy your soul. Only He can cleanse your heart and make you whole. He'll give you peace you never knew. Sweet love and joy in heaven too.
2: For only
0: Jesus can satisfy your soul.
2: Oh, I'm so glad that when I cried out and you cried out, there was a God that heard our cry. And he responded with something that fed our soul. And you and I know that there is no substitute.
0: And there is no one else that can cause that longing that is in our hearts and in our spirits to be satisfied except the power and the anointing of the Holy Spirit of God Almighty. We read in our text about Jeroboam and Rehoboam and it's a sad story because whenever Solomon died he had a son by the name of Rehoboam who came to power. He became king of Israel and Israel was the most powerful nation in the world at that time because of the reign of David and Solomon it had grown to such significance that people would come from all over the world just to see how mighty this kingdom had become with the temples and the palaces and all that Solomon had built and so Rehoboam was now the king and the people came to Rehoboam and he's and they said to him Rehoboam we have been taxed very heavily under your father and now that we've established this king is it possible that you could give us a break and 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 could you make the load on us a little bit easier and so um we see that Rehoboam went to some older counselors and he went to some of the men who had advised his father and even his grandfather David. And he said, what do you think about the request of the people? And they said, you should heed their cry. Because if you will listen to them, they will serve you and be loyal to you. But if you don't, they will rebel. Then he went to his buddies, the ones that he had grown up with, those that were young like him, his posse, as it were. And said to them, what do you guys think? What's your advice? And they said, we think you ought to establish who you are right now. And it doesn't matter what your dad did. You are the man. You can't live in his shadow. you got to establish your own identity. You ought to make it twice as hard on the people as your dad was. He said, that sounds good. So he went back to the people and said... You thought my dad was hard? It's going to be twice as hard. You thought my dad
2: was a great leader? It's going to be twice as
0: hard. He said all this stuff on a big ego trip. And so there was rebellion and the kingdom split and 10 of the tribes of Israel went north and they found a fellow by the name of Jeroboam who'd been over in Egypt. He had thought he was supposed to be the next king anyhow. So they called him out of Egypt. He came and he took the regions in the north that became known as Israel. And there were two tribes that stayed in the south and stayed loyal to Rehoboam. And that area became known as Judah. And Jerusalem was down there in that area. And so the kingdom of Israel split under Jeroboam and Rehoboam. And so it came time, as it even happens to this day, when they all would go down to Jerusalem to worship. And the king that was in the north, Jeroboam, he said, if they go down to Jerusalem to worship Jehovah God, they will reestablish themselves with my arch rival, my political rival, Rehoboam. And if they go down to Rehoboam and they go to Jerusalem to worship, They'll want him to be their king. Don't come back and kill me and it'll be all over for me. So I've got to stop them from going to Jerusalem. I'm going to tell them it's too far to go. It's too hard to get there. It's too long of a journey. You don't need to go down there. We can worship gods up here. And he set up these false gods. These gods he put up that were made out of gold and they were calves. And he said, these are the ones that delivered you out from the Red Sea. These are the ones that delivered you out of Egypt. These are the gods and the people heeded his direction and they did not go to Jerusalem. And the Bible says in the text that we read that it became a sin to them because they tried to substitute the one true living God. I want to say this this morning, ladies and gentlemen, many of you that are here today, you know what it is to feel The power and the anointing of God. And I want to say this to you today. You are never going to be able to substitute the power and the anointing of the true living God. For some come as you are,
2: one size fits all, easy believism church. You're never going to be able to just go through the motions and play church because once you have felt God, there is no substitute. The enemy knows
0: that. He wants to give you substitutes and pacifiers and and other things. But I believe that God
2: is calling on apostolic Pentecostals to spit out the binky and say, There's nothing in this world that's going to satisfy me. I want the nutritional value of the whole gospel of Jesus Christ.
0: As sad as this story is about Jeroboam and Rehoboam, it didn't start with them. It really started back with Solomon, Rehoboam's father. When you look in 1 Kings chapter 11, you begin to read through 1 Kings chapter 11, you'll see that Solomon had been given great wisdom and great wealth, and he had led the nation of Israel to a place of tremendous prosperity. But Solomon, I think, got too caught up with his own wisdom. Because the Bible says that he loved many strange women together with the daughter of Pharaoh, women of the Moabites, Ammonites, Edomites, Zidonians, and Hittites. This was Solomon's strategy. Instead of spending all of our money fighting other countries, I'll marry the daughter of all of these kings. And none of these kings will attack me because to do that, they would have to attack their own daughter. So as we read through this, we find that this was Solomon's strategy. It says, of the nations concerning which the Lord said unto the children of Israel, you shall not go into them, neither shall they come in unto you, for surely they will turn away your heart after their gods. Solomon, clave unto these in love. In other words, it had been already told, Solomon, there's some countries, there's some people, they're not to come into you and you're not to go into them. Not because I'm saying you're better than everybody else. Uh, or because they can't be saved but simply because they want to turn your heart away from God can I just stop and say something here ladies and gentlemen there are places that we go and don't go there are people that we hang with and others that we don't hang with there's a certain
2: way to dress and a certain way not to dress there's certain words that we say and other words that we don't say not because we think we're better than everybody else but we're trying to protect our heart. We want to have a heart that is fully committed unto the one true living Jehovah God.
0: For it came to pass when Solomon was old that his wives turned away his heart after other gods. This is what happens to men as we get old. We just don't want to fight no more, especially with our wife. When we're young, it's like, this is what I said to do. I'm the man of the house. But if you go on cruise ships and you see little old people, the wife is out front saying, we're going to go here, and then we're going to eat there. And the man is behind just shuffling along like this. Yes, dear. Yes, dear. Yes, dear. Has anybody seen my oxygen? gave up a long time ago. (laughs) I'm getting a lot of amens from this area here. (laughs) Solomon was old. His wives turned away his heart after other gods. But it didn't start there. You know how it first started. It first started with just, well, Solomon, we know you you serve Jehovah God and all that, but, you know, I came from... Edom, or I came from Egypt, or I came from you know, Amen. I, I just, I just want a little temple over here for my gods. Okay, that's fine. And over here, and over there, and then all of a sudden, there were little temples dotted all over the nation of Israel to all of these false gods to keep all these wives happy. He said, "Well, why did it? Because the Bible says it in verse three. He had
2: seven hundred wives." And this is the wisest man that ever lived? (laughs)
0: Princesses. I told you he married princesses. He married all the princesses from all these other countries. And 300 concubines. Or one little boy in Sunday school said, Solomon had 700 wives and 300 cucumber vines. (laughs) 300 concubines. Those are like glorified girlfriends I think and his wives turned away his heart where it came to pass when Solomon was old that his wives turned away his heart after other gods and his heart was not perfect with the Lord his God as was the heart of David his father so it probably just started out with "Well, you've got your God and I've got my God You go and worship in the temple and we go. You know, we came from all these other countries. You understand it's part of our culture. But then after a while, as Solomon gets older, the wives are like, Oh, Solomon, if you really loved me, you would go to church with me. You don't have to worship my God. Just go. Go with me. And Solomon, not wanting to fight anymore. He has given up a long time ago. Okay. So he would go and stand there in the temple. And then after a little while, become more and more comfortable, more and more familiar. And after a while, his heart just starts to get turned. And the Bible says it was not perfect with the Lord His God, as was the heart of David His father. For Solomon went after Ashtoreth, the goddess of the Zidonians, and after Milcom. Who is Milcom? The Bible doesn't even—he doesn't even try to hide that this is a false worship, the abomination of the Ammonites. I mean, the Bible doesn't even say another belief system or another god or another goddess. It's just an abomination. Sometimes you you just got to call things as they are. I know we live in a day now when people want to go to a church where they're not going to be offended and the preacher doesn't yell or use any kind of mean words, but he just gives you a nice little story. We need more apostolic, this is what the
2: Word of God says, preaching in America. We got a whole nation on pacifiers. Spiritual pacifiers to make us all feel better while we're all on our way to hell. Somebody's got to stand up and say, hey, we must repent. We must turn our heart back to God. I stand today to tell you there is a day and age that God is calling the people, the people of his name. Our heart must be perfect, Lord. Solomon did evil in the sight of the Lord.
0: Why did he do evil? Because he just tolerated too much stuff in his own house and went not fully After the Lord, as did David, his father. Then did Solomon build a high place in Shemash, the abomination of Moab, the hill that's before Jerusalem. After a while, he allowed these temples to be built in the high places. This is symbolic of that being the most powerful God in the land. You see it, I saw it not too long ago when I was in Nepal. They would build these Hindu and Buddhist temples way up high in the mountain. We climbed up to some of them, walking in stairs, and others we got up to by automobile. But they're always in the high ground, symbolic of the fact that their god is higher than any
1: other.
0: Solomon, at some point, allowed these temples to these false gods. These, the Bible describes it as abominations, to be built in the high ground. It was a slow process. Ladies and gentlemen, we may not understand it, but if your heart is not fully committed to God, that there's a slow process where other things just begin to become greater and greater. Higher priorities. Before long, you start to love things that you would never ever dream that you cared about. I hope that nobody ever gets comfortable hearing the name of the Lord taken in vain. I don't care how it's framed in a movie or how it's framed in a song or how it's framed in a sitcom. I hope we never get comfortable with a perverted lifestyle. I hope we never get comfortable with the name of God taken in vain. I hope we never get comfortable with vulgarity and immorality. I'm gonna tell you what, ladies and gentlemen, every time you allow something to continue, you're building a temple to that particular God. You've got to take all of that stuff out of your life and say, you know what? I'm not gonna allow there to be any other substitutes. I, and if you're the man of the house or if you're the leader of your home, you need to establish this house is
2: gonna be a house of prayer, this house is gonna be a house of righteousness. This is not going to be a garbage can. We're not going to allow all of this junk in here. You've got to guard your ears. You've got to guard your eyes. You've got to guard your mind. You've got to say, I'm not going to let anything get into my spirit because I want to fully serve God. This is the cry of
1: our world.
0: And I hate it, but religion, modern-day Christianity in America, is simply giving out binkies this morning all across this great nation. Spiritual pacifiers. But the Bible gives us some guidance and direction. Why was it that the Bible compared Solomon's heart so much different than David's heart? Without going into a whole study of David, let me just simply say this. David was hungry for God and he would not allow anything to substitute that. At one point, when he was in a battle, he just said off, off the cuff, I wish that I could drink from the wells of Bethlehem. This is David now. He was a boy. He grew up in that area. He, he was a shepherd, and, and they had those wells that were in Bethlehem in the area that he grew up And, and he would take the sheep by, and they would get the water and so forth. And, and he's just in this battle. He's got all this pressure. and He's got all this that's coming against him, and he's just uh, talking out loud. He just said, I wish that I could drink from the wells of Bethlehem. I I wish there I could get back to that time when it was just me and God, and and I was singing praises of my harp and the sheep and and God's anointing. Oh, if I could just drink from the wells of Bethlehem. Some of his men heard that not knowing what David meant. They were such mighty men, and they were so loyal to David. They heard that he wanted water on the wells of Bethlehem, and so they said, let's go get it. And they fought their way through enemy lines to get to the wells of Bethlehem and they filled up their jugs or however they carried them and they fought their way back through enemy lines risking their life and they came to David and they said, David, we heard you say you wanted water on the wells of Bethlehem. Here it is. He said, you went all the way to Bethlehem. You fought through the enemy lines to get there and to get back. I'm not worthy of this water. And he pours it out on the ground. Can you imagine those men standing there looking at that water going out on the ground? that they have just risked their lives for. What those men did not understand is that David was thirsty for the refreshing presence of God that he would feel as a young boy on those shepherd's hill. And he was not going to allow natural water to be a spiritual pacifier for the thirst of his soul. And so he poured it out on the ground. That's just a small indication of why the Bible says that David served God with a full heart. Even though he was a man and he made mistakes, Solomon just allowed his heart to be pulled aside with
2: all of these
0: substitute worships,
2: all of these substitute churches, all of this.
0: Just one of many. That's the world we live in today. Oh, well, you believe your way and I'll believe my
2: way.
1: There is only one way.
2: The Bible says in Ephesians 4, 5, there's one Lord, one faith, and one baptism. You say there's only one baptism. That's right, because there's only one name. The Bible says there's no other name under heaven, so there's only one baptism, and that baptism is in the name of Jesus Christ. And everything else is just a spiritual passage
0: make us feel good about ourselves to soothe the hunger of our soul but at some point ladies and gentlemen we will quit crying out to God because we do not have God respond to our needs Jesus told the woman at the well in Samaria if you drink of the water from this well you will thirst again but if you drink of the water that I give you will never thirst again because only Jesus can satisfy your soul.
2: I said, Only Jesus can satisfy your soul. Is there anybody in this building that says, I want to drink of the wells of Bethlehem? I want to drink from the wells of living water. I want to drink from a God, hallelujah, that I can know for myself that is real and powerful, and his name is Jesus. And at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess.
0: At one point in the earthly ministry of Jesus, Jesus had had masses of people walk away from Him because of His message, His unadulterated message, His unequivocal message that did not mince words. And that was revelatory. The people couldn't understand. They walked away. He turned and said to his disciples, Will you leave also? And they said to him these words, To whom else can we go? For you have the words of life. They were saying to Christ that we will not substitute truth for fiction. We will not substitute the Messiah for man. There's no other option. There's no other way. There's no other path. Our soul cries out for God. We have a hunger in our innermost being for salvation, for a connection with our Savior, and the enemy wants to give you a substitute. Tries to give you something else to put into place. Don't go to Jerusalem. Don't go to a place of full commitment in God. Just take this little thing right here. It'll it'll make you stop crying for a moment. It'll make you feel better for the moment. But ladies and gentlemen, just as a natural pacifier is only a temporary solution, anything that this world offers you is only temporary. It will never deal with the longing of your soul. It's just temporary. So when the enemy tries to give you something else, you've got to reject it. You've got to spit it out. You've got to say bye-bye to Biki. I'm not going to take the bait of instant
1: gratification.
0: Some people have the pacifier of palm readers, and tarot cards, or horoscopes, and others have the pacifier of new age religion or Eastern religions or mysticism. Some try to make the cry go away
2: with drugs or alcohol, and for others, it may be pornography or false intimacy. But you cannot allow addictions to be a substitute for spiritual hunger. There is a way. There is a truth. There is a God. There is the real thing. And if you cry out, if you will cry out, He will hear your cry.
0: Don't allow natural relationships to try and substitute a spiritual relationship. Don't allow convenience to substitute conviction. Don't allow personal preference to substitute divine direction. But for most of us, the pacifier is just life. We just get preoccupied with work, family, bills. And though we're not bad people or terrible sinners, we just don't have the cry anymore. But God is calling us, First Pentecostal Church, back to a place of spiritual hunger. He
2: wants you and I to cry out. He doesn't want a silent church in these last days. He wants a church that will say, God, if you don't move, if you don't deliver, if you don't heal,
0: I have nowhere else to go.
2: Or I put all my hope in you, God. I have put all of my trust in this word. I sold out a long time ago. And if this is not true,
0: then my entire life is a waste. Because I've sold out. Is there anybody, is there any apostolic Pentecostals in this house that are willing to cry out? Jesus. Jesus.
2: The reason that he healed a man called Bartimaeus in the New Testament is because he cried out, Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on me. I'm tired of being blind. I'm tired of being on the wayside. I'm tired of begging. I am thirsty for some living waters. I am hungry for some living bread.
0: reason that he healed a lady with the issue of blood is because she would spent all of her money on doctors and she was not any better. She said goodbye to the pacifier of man's medicine. I have a lot of respect for our medical professionals. The work that they do is amazing and too often without appreciation. But they are humans and they have limitations. Get all the help that you can get, but in the process of getting help. You better get a hold of God. I said, you better get a hold of God. There was a day when we would pray first and then go to the doctor. Now we go to the doctor and then pray. Just a slow, gradual building of another temple, building of another dependence just another pacifier. I had an experience that I'll never forget when my daughter Sophia was born and she was in the NICU. They could not get her lungs to integrate with the bed of blood vessels that sits under and around them. This process usually happens at birth when they come down the birth canal but for Sophia it didn't happen. So after the second night they advised us that they could not do anymore and they would probably have to take her over to Arnold Palmer Children's Hospital in Orlando. I had been at the hospital with my wife for those two days, but that night I went home and I started praying 12, 1, 2. And around 3 o'clock in the morning, I felt like the Lord spoke to my heart. Up to that point, I had reassured my wife that Sophia would be fine. My boys, twin boys, had been in the NICU at those same caregivers at that same hospital and they were born a month early and they had helped them and they were, they were able to recover and come home. At, Seven days and ten days and show no signs of being preemies. In fact, they both have 14 feet. (laughs) There was an old saying we used to say, act your age, not your shoe size. They're 14 and they wear 14 shoes, so that doesn't work. The other day I gave them my tennis shoes and they said they're too small and I wear 13s. But those caregivers had been so good. I I kept telling my wife, they'll be fine because these people are amazing. They're great doctors and nurses. They're going to take care of Sophia. Sophia will be fine. And so she didn't get any better. One day and two days. And finally they said, we're going to have to just move her over to Orlando because we've done all that we can do. And so I went to prayer. And around 3 o'clock in the morning, the Lord just simply spoke to me and said, who do you trust, man or me? And without even thinking, I just said, you, Lord, I trust you. And the Lord said, medicine only has the power to get humanity back to a place so that it can heal itself. But I'm the one that gives life. I'm the creator. Mm. I said, yes, Lord. He said, I will breathe on her again and she will be whole. And I spent the next hour just thanking the Lord and worshiping Him. I got two hours sleep, and I went to the hospital room with my wife that next morning, and I said, everything's going to be fine. And she said, no, they're fixing to come in in a few minutes, and they're supposed to take her to Arnold Palmer Hospital, and I don't know what we're going to do. And I said, but the Lord talked to me last night, and she's like, are you sure? And I told her that whole story, and I said, at about 3 o'clock, He just reminded me that I need to trust in Him first and foremost. I'm thankful for what everybody's done here. I love all these people. I have great gratitude and admiration. It's it's such an amazing profession. I have so much respect for that profession. It's not to take away anything from them. But there's only one God. There's only one God. So we spent a few minutes just worshiping and thanking the Lord. And the doctor came in and the doctor said, your daughter's fine. She's not going to Arnold Palmer Hospital. He said, really? He said, yeah. He said, about 3 o'clock in the morning, her lungs opened up, and they're as good as new. It's as if nothing was
2: ever wrong. And if you've ever met her, she never stops talking. You know why? Because there comes a time when you got to spit out the beaky and say, I need God. I need truth. I need a touch of the Holy Ghost. There is a hunger in this world and there is a God that will satisfy
1: you.
0: Would you stand to your feet this morning?
2: Oh, I feel a hunger in my heart. I feel a hunger in this house.
0: In the Holy Ghost, I see pacifiers being spit out all over this building. voices crying out from the innermost being. Jesus, thou day. I wonder this morning is there anybody in this place that will spit out the pacifier of complacency? We're not
2: interested in just going through the motions. We're not interested in the status quo. We are hungry
0: for God. We are hungry for a move of the Holy Ghost. We need something more than a cheap substitute. We are crying out to you, God. We're asking you to fill us with your spirit. Is there anybody in this house? You feel God calling you. Come on, I, I I'm not going to just offer God a sinner's prayer and go home.
2: I can't leave until I get a hold of the horns of the altar. I've got to be filled with Your Spirit. I want the rivers of living water. Come on, God wants to cover you with His anointing from the top of your head to the bottom of your feet. There is a God that will respond if you will cry out. Jesus, i Son. Oh, that's it. That's it. Come on, run to this altar. Come on, bye-bye, beaky. Bye-bye, cold, dry prayers. Bye-bye, suffering in silence. Bye-bye with the substitutes. I put all my trust in you, Lord. I've come into a living God. I am
1: crying out to Jehovah God of Israel.
0: Just a moment, we're going to sing, but before we do, I feel this in the Holy Ghost. It may be a healing in your body, it may be a financial miracle, it could be a family situation. It could be salvation if you've never received the Holy Ghost with the evidence of speaking in tongues. Maybe you need to be baptized in Jesus' name this morning. Don't wait another service. I'm not going to wait for a more convenient season. But I'm going to ask you, Lord, right now to come into my heart. And I'm going to make a full commitment to you. Here's what I want you to do today, First Pentecostal Church. You're ready to totally sell out to God. Spit out that pacifier and say, Lord, I have nothing else but you. I believe we need to cry out like the man on the wayside and use our voice and the hunger of our soul to not just talk about it, but to practice it. I wonder if this church, this group of believers, would lift up your voice and lift up your hands right now all across the building. And would you use your voice and cry out to God?
2: Hey! hey.
0: I feel like there's anointing in this place. If you need God to heal your body this morning, I wonder if you'd just slip a hand up right now. Right now this morning, in the name of Jesus, I need a healing in my body. Would you raise your other hand right now? I want you to begin to thank the Lord for your healing. I want you to begin to thank him for the healing.
2: Come on. I thank you for it, Lord. I don't have to see it to believe it. I claim it in the name of Jesus. That's it. Begin to lift your hands and thank him. Now by the authority of the word of God, by the anointing of the Holy Ghost, And by the power of the name of Jesus, be healed right now. Release your healing virtue, Lord. All across this building, from front to back, side to side, I claim it in the name of Jesus. I claim it in the name of Jesus. The name of Jesus. I claim it in the name of Jesus.
0: I'm asking you, Lord, to not only heal my body, but I'm asking you, Lord, to heal family relationships. I feel led to pray for families, homes, marriages, children. Whatever the situation is, there's a relationship that you need God to heal. I want you to lift up your hands right now in the name of Jesus. Say, God, I'm claiming a miracle in my life. Come on, it may be a spouse, it may be a parent, it may be a child, but you're saying, I claim it right now in the name of Jesus. That's it. Use your voice and cry out to God.
2: Use your voice and cry out to God. Yes, yeah, in the name of Jesus. I
0: feel like God wants to just hear our voices. I feel like God just wants to hear our voices. can't cry out while you still got a pacifier in your mouth you got to spit it out so you can use your voice
2: come on don't let the pacifier of pride stop you from crying out to God Jesus the Son of David you've never received the gift of the Holy Ghost Use your voice right now and cry out, the Spirit of God will ascend upon you. I got a love of God. I got a love of God. I got a love of God. I got a love of got a love